technology has made our lives better. And now, Max, the leaders in ear care, has improved the effectiveness of earwax removal with the new Max Pro Rinse. WCBN has partnered with Max Pro Rinse to bring our listeners the very best. Tune in to fundraisers starting February 10th. Call us then to get yours. Finally, a better solution for earwax removal. The Max Pro Rinse Earwax Removal Kit. The most complete and innovative earwax removal system available. WCBN FM fundraiser is coming soon. From February 10th through the 19th, we will bring you special programming, high intensity fun, and new premia items for your pledge of continued support. Help us keep a good thing going here in Ann Arbor at WCBN FM. says here the WCBN fundraiser is coming up. I think I'll skip it this year. I donated last year. Are you skipping breakfast this morning because you ate breakfast yesterday? Who are you? I'm the voice inside your head. I have a lot of expenses this year. <laughs> Who doesn't? WCBN will get by if I don't donate. Well, what if everyone said that? WCBN survives on hundreds of small donations from people like you to keep high quality programming on the radio. Hey, where'd you get that echo? I'm in a big empty space. What are you trying to say? WCBN uses your donation to buy needed supplies to maintain their equipment. It's something you appreciate every time you listen. I suppose I could donate a few dollars this year. Just buy a few less pizzas next week. Hey, watch it. The WCBN Fundraiser, coming soon to your listening device. Hetzel, you've got living writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor, and today I'm so happy to have in the studio with me Josh Kramer. Uh, Josh, welcome to Living Writers. <laughs> Hi, T. Thanks for having me. So <laughs> happy to be here. Thanks for coming down. <laughs> Braving the chill, chill yeah. winds and the yeah to come down. Um, so I'm going to read your short bio, and then we'll go from there. Um, Josh Kramer is a cartoonist based out of Washington, D.C. He specializes in feature-length comic narratives drawn in a documentary style. In addition to freelancing for publications such as The Atlantic, New York Magazine, and Washington City Paper, Kramer takes a leadership role in advocating for comics journalism. He is the creator of the cartoon Picayune, 
a self-published comics anthology of nonfiction stories. He also co-created The Kojo List, a monthly email newsletter curating the best online comic journalism. Kramer earned his bachelor's degree in journalism from American University and a master's of fine arts in cartooning from the Center for Cartoon Studies. He is currently a Knight Wallace Fellow at the University of Michigan. So, and that's so that's why there's so here. much there. Yeah, yes. <laughs> there's a lot to unpack. There is. Maybe let's start with the last thing, the, sure. the Knight Wallace Fellowship. How's how is that going? And it's amazing. How, yeah. How did you come to find it and and apply for it? Josh? Sure. Um, so the Knight Wallace Fellowship is this amazing program here at Michigan. Uh, it's Knight for the, you know, John Knight. Uh, foundation, the same journalism foundation that funds a lot of public radio and a lot of great journalism around the country. And it's Wallace for Mike Wallace from uh, 60 Minutes, CBS. And um, it's this, there are a few kind of fellowships at big institutions, big schools around the country where you can uh, go spend a year, uh, a paid year, kind of take a mid-career sabbatical and refresh yourself with the best classes available at these institutions um and um i think i'm lucky to be in maybe the best (laughs) like uh the knight wallace fellowship is so great because um right like i'm i'm paid here to take classes where i don't have to take any uh tests or like do any assignments but it's like pure learning with amazing teachers um, so even if you're you're in the course, it's not like you yeah. you, you write a paper. No, for I'm auditing basically, and I get to um, participate in all these amazing things. Go on these paid for international trips. We went to um, Seoul, South Korea, in the fall, and we're going to Brazil soon for spring break. Uh, and to answer your question about how I got here, um, I have a mentor from grad school who does a similar kind of comics, which I'm sure I'll explain in a second. But uh, Josh Newfeld, another Josh, another Josh cartoonist who does journalism uh he was here uh in 2012 to 2013 and he um told me hey you should apply for this hurry up i think you have a chance of getting it and i did and i'm here so i have been here since uh august and i'll be here uh, until april Uh, kind of soaking it all in (laughs) i'm so glad so glad josh so what is what is comics journalism? What is yeah. it that you you do? Sure. So, and I think it's worth kind of explaining in a little detail because I think when people hear that, uh, it kind of washes over them a little bit, and maybe it's hard to explain. Uh, but you know, well, and can people who do it who aren't named Josh? Yes, exactly. So uh, <laughs> there are a few of us, uh, and um, I think a great way of putting it is kind of like a a comic book, uh, like a multi page cartoon story with. Um, drawn characters and speech bubbles and sound effects and all that stuff. And panels. Um, yeah, except that it's all nonfiction, right? It's all kind of in the documentary mode. So uh, it varies person to person. People have different styles of doing it, just like people have different styles of doing journalism. But um, in my comics, uh, all the people are real people. All the speech bubbles are direct quotes from people. Uh, and... It kind of unfolds like a documentary. People have kind of described my comics as uh, This American Life, as a comic, things like that. So, yeah, I hope that clears it up for some people. I think a lot of people assume it's kind of political reporting, right? Like uh, maybe a single panel with an exaggerated Donald Trump or something. But uh, I tend to focus on real stories about real people. 
that's my thing. So, so that what you're doing and, and like something that differentiates it is that it would be a long, like a sequence of panels that would make yeah. a narrative, a longer narrative or right. I think an the, essay or article. Exactly. I think the closest analogs are probably like long form journalism, like big essay pieces or documentary because they kind of, it borrows a lot from each. Because you're using the images from a documentary. Yeah. For um, and it has its unique um, kind of merits, advantages, disadvantages, which I'm sure we'll get to as we talk about Well, let's the start. What, yeah. what are some of the merits then? What... Yeah. So um, for me, uh, you know, it does take an incredible time for one person to report and write and draw these things. But the advantage is um, that it is kind of a self-sustained effort and that kind of me personally working on a story, I can create this immersive piece of journalism. So I think in practical terms, uh, if I want to tell you a story and I want to like show a extreme overhead shot uh, from, from way up high looking down on a scene, I can just draw that. I don't have to like hire a crane and I don't have to, you know, employ all these people to make it safe. Like it, uh, you know, I can go all the way up into space or I can go all the way down into the microscope, like whatever I can imagine you know, as long as it uh, has some visual authenticity to it, I feel good about putting it in. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's one of the big advantages. Are you, okay, so, are and are you starting from, um, like, when, in your drafting process yeah. for comics journalism, do you start with the text where you're sort of outlining the story, and then you're thinking about what images are, you're thinking about when you're looking at the text that you have, or, sure. or how does it work? Yeah, everybody's a little bit different, but... Um, I think what I like to say is that I start like any other reporter. You know, I start with a notebook, talking to somebody. Um, my the main difference is probably that I am uh, thinking a lot more about visuals as I go, and I'm recording a lot of visual details. I am uh, sometimes it's very awkward to like take a lot of pictures of somebody and get like a full 360 turnaround on them. So sometimes I'll ask a subject to kind of spin around while I video them, or I will go snap a lot of pictures all around them, things like that. Um, but mostly I'm just reporting, just kind of taking it all in, making sure I get real quotes. Uh, and then later um, is where it becomes a little bit different. So I'll kind of draft a script. Uh, usually if I'm working with an editor, that's the point that uh, we can work back and forth on, right? So if I have a script and I have an editor at The Atlantic, for example, uh, that's something that they can deal with. They they can work with uh, that script. And from there, um, then I can add in things like sound effects and, and visual directions for myself. Uh, and at the same time, uh, as I'm kind of writing it, I'm also writing it visually, so I'm making what... Um, probably makes the the most sense as like storyboards like the way you would think of uh storyboards for a movie uh, i call them thumbnails that's the way that i was taught but uh just like little stick figures that kind of um are like a map for where i'm gonna go and then from there uh draw the whole thing in pencil usually draw the whole thing in ink uh take it into the computer uh it's different for each project but yeah Huh. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm wondering, like, do you ever, with the text, like, when you're talking with the Atlantic, are you ever imagining some a visual that then they're saying, no, not that, or or do you yeah, ever change sometimes. it? Sometimes, like, yeah. It's all got to make sense. Right. Yeah. Um, but um, it's important also that, like, when I'm writing what the visuals are going to be, which I know is a confusing idea, but when I'm choosing the the shots, kind of. Uh, I put away all my visual reference, right? The idea that you can kind of, you put away all the real photos so that you can use your imagination to choose 
what the best one is. Um, but I think also if you're sitting at home and you have like no idea what we're talking about and maybe uh, you want to look at something while we're talking, uh, my website is uh, joshkramercomics.com. So you can go and just kind of click on uh, comics and kind of like page through. We're going to be talking about a few things, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. so you mentioned also earlier um, merits and drawbacks. So mm-hmm. what would be some of the, is it the time? Is it the time it takes yeah, that's for one, one person to create um, this? I mean, uh, I come from a kind of indie comics tradition. Like um, if you think about, uh, you know, there's like, batman and superman and stuff but then there's this whole other world of independent creators who own their own work and usually uh make it and print it themselves like i do with my comic book um but uh in that tradition it's like what you might call like an auteur tradition right so the heroes of that are kind of like uh chris ware and uh i don't know like art spiegelman and stuff like mouse so uh from the context i come from you draw and write your own stuff. But in comics and journalism, it's not that unusual to collaborate, right? So it doesn't have to be slow. <laughs> it usually is, but it doesn't have to be. I would say the main drawbacks, and I know we're going to take a break in a second, but uh, some drawbacks are just, there are just uh, the the medium, right? And like comics is the medium, journalism is like the tool set or the genre maybe. But uh, the medium just has certain drawbacks, the way that plays do and essays do and video does. But um the uh comics themselves are not great at like subtle movements and certain kinds of drama and interaction but uh they're great at so many things yeah it's interesting you say that because i noticed in one of the panels from um let's see in nuclear neighbors which if folks are looking um it's on the high kai magazine oh yeah hakai yeah they're based in vancouver oh great i mean this is such Oh, Vancouver. British Columbia. Wow. So interesting because I'm surprised because it's the the comic strip itself or or comic uh, journalism. (laughs) Sorry. I'll get it right. Um, Is based in Florida. Yeah. Um, So, but this is a coastal science and societies uh, magazine. That's Um, right. Yeah. But um, it, but it's interesting, like the face, uh, like on some of the people, I was like, oh, I wonder. I have to ask Josh. For example, is he supposed to look super mad? And is he waving his finger in this picture? And it's interesting yeah. that it's this this moment, right? And you can't show him smiling next necessarily, because then he would look right. It's got to fit the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think ideally, it's awesome when you can, even if it's like a complicated idea break it up into moment to moment action that's where comics really soar is when you can kind of have one panel lead into the next and then it feels like you've got this movement even if it's it's freeze framed or so right exactly okay um well we'll take a short break and then we'll come back today on the program josh kramer is here i'm t hetzel you've got living writers we'll be back Time when we could dance into 
If you're just joining us, I'm glad you did. You've got living writers. I'm I'm T. Hetzel um, today. Josh Kramer is here, um, cartoonist and journalist. And we've been talking about comics journalism. Um, we've got the Liz behind the glass. Um, woo. And thanks for picking the songs for today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love that Harry Nielsen song. I love Harry Nielsen. And I think everybody needs to listen to him more because <laughs> he's one of those guys, just like ambiguous 60s guys that like kind of get forgotten sometimes but uh god i love him and i love like the weird stuff about his life i think he was like best friends with paul or john or something from the beatles and like yeah i don't know i think there's an awesome documentary about him too that i would really recommend yeah. Oh, well, great. Well, thanks for yeah. picking the songs for today, sure. Josh. And, um, so before the break, we were talking about Josh Kramer's piece, um, Nuclear Neighbors. How does a coastal nuclear plant affect the sea life and communities that surround it? Um, yeah, this is a funny one for me. Why? Um, so I worked on this. This is one of those where like, I did the reporting maybe a year before I started drawing. There was a big lag time. Um and it's for a couple of reasons, but uh, as you mentioned, it's for this um, kind of this online magazine called Hakai. They're based out of Vancouver, British Columbia, and they really have this niche focus on coastal communities, and they're science-focused mainly. So um, they came to me, which is flattering, and they said, uh, we'd love what you do, and we'd love to do something with you. Can you pitch us some ideas? And many ideas went back and forth. Most of them not good, I'll admit right now, but that's how it works. And um, this eventually came to me because um, it is set in South Florida on the uh, on the Atlantic side, and uh, it's on Hutchinson Island, which is a barrier island. So if you don't know Florida very well, there are all these like little thin islands with like one road, and they kind of protect either the Gulf or the Atlantic from uh, or the mainland from the the ocean. And so there's usually uh, ocean uh, barrier island river like inland river and then coastal water yeah exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> so um this one is unusual for one specific reason which is that uh there is a uh, nuclear and i always have to be careful how i say that word i always want to say it the george w bush way the nuclear but i know that's wrong uh and uh this one has a nuclear power plant on it and um my uh fiance lives in dc hi ali if you're listening i doubt it but uh that uh, Hutchinson Island um, is where her family has a condo. So we've been there many times and we drive by this power plant and it's just like, what is this doing here? Like, how is this just sitting on this little skinny island so close to so many people and people like doing all sorts of beach things, right? So that's where the original nugget of an idea came from. And then so it turned into this larger story about coastal power plants because so many of them require just a huge amount of water. That's just the way that power plants work is they kind of 
pull in a huge amount of seawater, river water, whatever, in order to cool down this crazy amount of energy that they're producing. So, um, so anyway, I started looking into this a little bit more once we were going on the story. So they, so yeah. then they said, yes, this sounds like it's yeah. got legs or <laughs> right. Yeah, okay. uh, and so I started reporting, like we went down there, I interviewed people, I went to the plant and everything. And, um, uh, I found all this really unusual stuff. Like the story opens with this guy, uh, in I think 1989, right? Yeah. Thank you. Um, and he is, uh, spearfishing, off of the coast, like a little bit off the coast too, not like right on the beach, but he's but uh, not too far away. Not too either. far away. <laughs> he's just kind of a little bit off the beach, and he's spearfishing, and he's standing on like concrete because uh, Florida is surrounded by these artificial reefs, right? Like the state requires uh, certain companies to build these artificial reefs, and it's a fish habitat and all sorts of things. So he's uh, standing on one of these, and then the next thing he knows, he's, like, sucked under, like, under the concrete. And he's in this kind of, um, he's in this darkened uh, tube, and it's, like, how big is it? Uh, I forget exactly, but it's um, it's this kind of concrete chamber, and he's being, like, pulled down it super fast, uh, I think two meters per second, um, and you know, it's complete darkness. He's like bouncing on the sides of it and his uh, wetsuit is like shredding. So as, how did yeah. you find this person? Because it wasn't the nuclear power plant people right. didn't say, oh, no. you know, you should call Jim. <laughs> well, right? that's just reporting, right? right. Is like but you how did start... you find him? Yeah, like, how I did mean, this... I didn't talk to him because oh, he doesn't don't. really talk to anybody anymore. And if I did, the story would have been much more about him. Oh. But, um, but anyway, like, you know, he's being pulled down this thing and then he considers taking out his oxygen and just ending it because he thinks he's about to like hit something that's going to kill him. And uh, then he just pops out in the water and he's in this uh, kind of intake a pond. Yeah, basically. And, um, and not only did this happen in 1989, but I found out after this piece came out, it happened again like last year or 2015. With a person. <laughs> yeah. Two times exactly the same circumstances, just somebody spearfishing who gets sucked into this intake. Um, and so... Did that person make it okay as well? Yeah, totally. I mean, like scratches, but yeah. totally fine. And uh, that kind of framed the story because it's like, what is this thing? How is this happening? Uh, what is the kind of like larger effect of this thing this industrial uh power plant being so close to all these people so so that's, that's why yeah. you chose to start so that was one of the things i wanted to ask sure you. Like, yeah where how did you choose to start with that moment but you definitely that's do the reconnect. best moment <laughs> yeah. i mean that's just like a that's uh it's got drama that's just i don't know if you can that's like the journalism part of it right like that's the exciting uh inciting incident or whatever you want to call it but um yeah, uh, that's that's the the most like exciting part of the story for sure. And I think I just found it by you know like doing basic research about the power plant and about the town and about yeah everything like that. But so maybe reading some old news articles yeah. or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, Lexis Nexus or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, then it becomes this larger story about kind of uh, what kind of neighbor. Uh, is a a nuclear power plant so and so and then it's like in the piece too you 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 deepen like the um like we how we should pay attention to our neighbors because you bring in japan because that was a more recent because yeah. so 1988 feels a little bit 
older, but then right. we look at what happened in Japan. Yeah, and only 2011, there was the um, Fukushima Daiichi um, kind of meltdown after the tsunami. And um, it just kind of makes you wonder, like, how much of that is possible in this context or in a similar context in the U.S. And it's not like... Um, it's not like our power plants are magically safer or anything. I mean, obviously the context is different, but um, the similarities are there if you want to find them. And like the um, same company later yeah. on in the the story, right? It's not in the the subsequent panels. Like there's right. maybe ten panels between it, but then there's an expert, yeah. that you introduce that. Yeah. yeah, the story's a little different too because it's not largely interview based. It's just kind of like a structured essay, and there's there is science in there too, and. Um, it's almost like the most investigative piece that I've done. Uh, and the the main interviews are kind of these two experts on either side, like a very anti-nuclear uh, power uh, kind of... I'm in D.C., so I can if I want a policy expert, they're like everywhere. So uh, right there, uh, and also a very pro-nuclear power person. And I think um, it makes for a good piece because it's not an obvious answer. There's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of gray area. You know, it's... Uh, consistently 19 and a half percent of our country's energy portfolio so we can't just get rid of it without major consequences right so it's a complicated issue and that's what makes for a good story um kind of people ask if i have a beat or if i'm like a generalist um and i think i am kind of a generalist but i think i really love these kind of untold stories that unpack into something much more interesting and um i really also i think if i do have a beat it's probably um non-politics dc because i'm just fascinated with the place that i live as this kind of unique little ecosystem so um but yeah i've done all sorts of other stories about weird things like i did a um and i found that the ones that are the more niche are the ones that are more successful with their audience so excuse me um so there's i did a story about um marijuana law in uh alaska in the 70s and that's like the most niche thing you wouldn't even imagine that it would make a very good comic because it's a complicated policy issue but um it was great because it it did like so so on the atlantic's website and then it was reprinted in the alaska daily news's sunday supplement and it did great and then the people who loved it were the most were lawyers in alaska and they put it in their bar newsletter that they call the alaska bar rag so it was great it had three lives got paid three times you can't ask for much better than that. no that's excellent so So do you have a pretty solid working relationship with the atlantic monthly no i've done a couple things for them but uh and i like the people there very much and i used to i interned there actually when i was in college uh so uh they'll always hold a special place in my heart but uh no i think i i would like to do more with them but that's it probably yeah so how did Hakai, for example, like find you? Like, is it know. from from the cartoon Picayune or yeah, maybe let's talk know. about okay. these a little sure, bit because sure. you started it when you were still in school. Yeah, right. right? Your issue number one back in 2011. Well, yeah. Let me explain to the context in which. Uh... Yeah, let's start and then okay. we'll take a short break and we'll okay. come back to it. Great. Well, so maybe I'll just say about the school real quick. Um, I went to this place. You might have heard in the intro. I went to a place called the Center for Cartoon Studies which is a two years um, two years long master's program in comics and cartooning, if you can believe it. So That sounds like a dream. Yeah. That's so great. <laughs> it's a really like skills-based intensive first year with like history classes, drawing classes, writing classes, um, all sorts of things. Um, and then the second year is kind of an open-ended thesis year uh, in this tiny town called White River Junction, Vermont. It's a town of 
2500 it's technically a, an unincorporated village uh and it's just this lovely little place and it's a great place too to start um really like get some reporting chops too because um it's so accessible like you can just walk into the mayor's office if you want so um so i started doing that and i started doing these little kind of low stakes uh feature uh projects and uh doing comics about those and then my thesis kind of wrapped them together in the first issue of what is now the cartoon picayune which is my comic book so yeah um and uh what it is is kind of a print anthology of the kind of work that I make, right? So it's not all my comics. I have a lot of amazing people who help me uh, and contribute um, stories, but uh, it is a five and a half by eight and a half kind of floppy comic. And I think the main reason I do it is because the thing that I do is complicated and weird. And so I can just hand somebody this and say, this is it. Yeah, this take a look at I this. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you'll understand it by the time you read <laughs> the whole thing. Um, and uh, yeah, it's kind of the best way of extending the message. Right. And yeah. And it seems like growing a community of people who are also doing this. Yeah, that's probably the thing that I'm most excited about now. Yeah is growing Why? that community. Yeah, because um, I see the future and I think it looks like this stuff is going to be everywhere in the best way. Like, I think we're uh, starting to see more and more amazing comics journalism around uh, in publications, but also everywhere online. And I think that in a few years, you're going to, it won't be weird to open the New York Times magazine and see like a big um, like illustrative a feature. feature. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... I just love this work and I want to see it everywhere and I want to see people paid well for it. And I think my peers are some of the best, some of the best in journalism. So everybody talks about the problems that journalism faces. And I think those are a hundred percent true, but, um, but you, in journalism, yeah, exactly the whole, yeah. But I mean, but if you want to see, you know, a young, diverse, energized group of young journalists, look at comics journalism. That's the place for it. So for your program, were you so you weren't how many people were in your program? How many people were doing comics journalism in twenty eleven when you graduated? Oh, I was probably the only one, but there are a bunch of people from CCS, that's what we call it, uh, who have graduated and also do this kind of work. Um amongst them are uh Andy Warner, who has a new book out called Um Brief History of Everyday Objects. And there's a lot of amazing work. Yeah. We're going to take a short break, and then we'll come back to okay. talk more with Josh Kramer. Today on Living Writers, I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back.
welcome back. If you're just tuning in, I'm glad you did. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers today. Josh Kramer is here, cartoonist and journalist. We've been talking about comics journalism and... um, and actually, maybe a quick word about Nico Case uh, yeah, now, sure. Josh. Yeah, so uh, I'm a fan. I'm not a huge fan, but I really like that song and a couple other songs and some of the old new pornographer stuff. And uh, I was just tweeting randomly because that's one of the things I'm trying to get better at here during my fellowship is using social media and Twitter especially because so much of journalism and comics exists on Twitter. And um, and so I just I tweeted something and um, Nico Case this Nico case from this song uh, liked it randomly. Like she's one of three people who liked it. I have no idea where she saw it, but uh, it was just the best thing that happened to me yesterday. And I uh, made me want to include the song. Um, And the thing that she liked is actually a great segue. It's um, I'm teaching a class with uh, my partner from the Kojo list, which we'll talk about next. Um, And uh, M DeMarco, who's also a comics journalist uh, and I are going to teach this class. That's about, comics and journalism at my school so uh if you are like wow this sounds like something i want to do and you want to go to vermont in july which frankly is lovely it's a great time to be in vermont um it's uh july 24th through 28th at the center for cartoon studies uh cartoonstudies.org and it's this week-long intensive uh where we will create some amazing comics journalism with you kind of do some reporting and all skill levels, all disciplines, right? So if you don't draw, we can make that work. So, um, but I encourage you to draw anyway. That's another one of my things. Yeah. <laughs> so you'll be drawing yeah. <laughs> if you come in yeah. July. You will secretly become a drawer. Yeah. A sketcher. Um, so is this outside of the MFA program? Then it's more of a summer. Yeah, like, they do they these offer summer intensive things. weeks. Or yeah, they do all these summer courses. They also just do like uh, getting into comics, like basics and all sorts of um people who have real jobs and can't carve out two years of their lives to come to the school uh it's like a week to kind of have like a fantasy comics camp basically for adults um and teenagers too they did a separate one for teenagers but how did you know you wanted to go there josh like what was your your path like after undergrad and yeah because i definitely mentioned i was um interning at the atlantic as a senior in college at american university and uh Weirdly, comics focused internship or just no, like um, just like editorial. Uh, I was doing design and ad stuff, and Andrew Sullivan was there at the time, so we researched uh, stuff for him, and um, and it was awesome. And it was in the Watergate building too, which was a treat. (laughs) Except it's a pain to commute to, but it's a cool place to work. And um, and I was there, and I kind of remember telling the other people I was interning with, who you know, like rightly so, were like capitalizing on their internship and going on to other like big mainstream journalism things. I was like, hey, I'm going to comic school, so I'll see you guys later. But it was uh, hard to explain then. And I think, um, I don't know, I guess I convinced myself I was good enough at drawing that I could just go to this amazing MFA program. Uh, and Had you been drawing ever since you were a kid, no, Josh? No. Or... Uh, no, I was never that kid in the back of the class. I just thought that I could draw because I have a big ego, I think. And uh, I definitely like went through a transformative education at in grad school teaching myself how to draw uh well or decently and um i actually just as a side note uh i i'm a firm believer that anybody can draw you know i think i hear over and over again everybody says like oh i can't draw like that's not for me i I, don't let me draw anything Uh, you know but like um 
uh, Linda Berry, who's an amazing cartoonist and writer. Uh, and I see you nodding vigorously and smiling. So, uh, yeah, she's the best. And she um, came to CCS when I was there. She always does a writing workshop. And You're very um, lucky. Yeah, she's the best. And um, she is a big proponent in the idea that uh, everyone can be creative, everyone can draw. Um, and something I always like to talk about is she has kind of done the work and looked into the kind of um, – developmental aspects of drawing so um you know when we're all we're kids and we all draw when we're kids and then there is this uh reliable point in development for kids where they start realizing that what they're drawing doesn't look like the thing that they're drawing and in the technical term for that is verisimilitude right it's like the gap between uh what the thing is and what the thing looks like when you draw it and um that cognitive dissonance is painful for kids. And that's what that's why kids stop drawing, typically. And so um, basically uh, the, the message is, A, don't let your kids stop drawing. <laughs> and B, um, there are ways to kind of get back to that. And that, you know, I think I'm one of those people that thinks like talent, especially for something like this, is just um, being able to push through the you know thousands of terrible drawings that you have to do in order to get to something you like and uh that's what it was for me and and drawing is still like that for me and all of my peers i mean occasionally it's it's fun too and uh it's nice to draw something that looks pretty but most of it's bad <laughs> that's like just how your it is. sea turtles and yeah the, and oh, the nuclear piece. oh you like the sea turtles oh thank you i appreciate that because there's some that i look at now and I, I just can't stand but well that's part of you know growing up and doing better drawings and everything so well well you mentioned too um and your site uh your your website how you might because i'm you're you're sitting here and you've you're you've got a beard <laughs> and on the site you've got this great yeah. drawing progression of y- y- you yeah um, like if, a triptych. You, if you go to josh <laughs> kramercomics.com you can see it's like a pencil drawing an ink drawing and then like a full watercolored drawing they're the same drawing yeah progressing along and um i've run into this a lot because i use this everywhere i use it on my twitter and on my resume and on everything and people have started to notice i have a lot more hair now in real life like and uh and and i look you know like a preppy child on that in the drawing so uh so right i'm in the process of of updating it right now so soon as i will be uh you know branding means something different when you're a cartoonist like it's like a there's a visual quality to it that's very different from most other you know writers or whatever so well because people are going to trust that in a certain way or be looking at it more closely right and a a lot of um cartoon journalists definitely do put themselves into their work i typically don't but it's not like a big decision it's just that i don't see myself in the stories the way that a lot of people do so right yeah right um and i guess we're, we were going to talk about kojo list before i forgot uh well, but well, what were you going to say well, well one thing was just that it this connected because you had said oh well, i think my drawing has gotten better oh yeah that's and right that's why also <laughs> it's not just because you have yeah. different hair because at the end of the day i'm yeah. the one who has to look at that the most uh, out of you know anyone on earth so uh, i want to be, I want it to be something I like also. But, yeah. and you, but you just feel like you know that there's a difference in yeah. how you're drawing. And can is that possible to even articulate what oh, that would sure. be? Or, yeah, I mean... Or, not, um, or don't. You don't have to. No, I think uh, <laughs> it's... Uh, there's all sorts of little things, right? Like if you draw... Um, maybe this means something to you, like uh, line quality uh, like and, and kind of brush control. And like, I don't know. 
all drawing is just how do I get the thing in my head to appear the way I want it to appear on the paper and how do I articulate that the best so but um yeah it's just little things too like and I and uh and it's, it's skill based too so I look at my comics from a few years ago and I, I just shake my head at all the hands right like hands <laughs> is something that is a challenge for most cartoonists it's just um it's tricky it's just very difficult and the same with faces because you know we spend all day looking for mm. tiny little expressions on people's faces and humans like study faces for patterns and so if something's really wrong with a face in a drawing you can tell right away and there's you know it's just the worst <laughs> it's so hard so it seems to hear you talk about it josh seems so much like writing as well yeah right and how it's like a practice and how you yeah. have to keep you can get rusty at it or you can actually sure. grow no matter who you are yeah and i think um comics have really has really helped my writing too just in the oh, totally so. non-comics writing because um well, uh, this is a total other digression, but um, I subscribe to this idea that there's a cartoonist uh, named Seth from Canada. He's a very uh, dandy gentleman who wears like 1940s clothes. He only goes by Seth, one name. Uh, and uh, he has this idea that comics are design plus poetry. Uh, so um, design uh, is is not, it's not uh, subjective, right? It's not like something you hang on the wall and you can like, argue about the merits of it and interpret it design is uh is binary it either works or it doesn't most of the time it has a purpose but there's also this extra wild card and that's the poetry right it that it, it's expressive it's it is subjective there's lots of things going on so um i think that the like everybody <laughs> this is just me i'm just saying it's not cartoonists or comics journalists but i really think that clarity is the goal especially when there are real people involved and you want to like get it right for their sakes yeah exactly so for me um yeah for me clarity is king and that that is part of the writing too so um what i mean is uh i can't have you know two-thirds of the panel be text like it needs to be concise it needs to be needs to pack a punch um and i can't waste any i literally cannot waste the space do yeah. you do you have draft longer and then I yeah I always more cut. yeah I always compact. red pen just cut 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 yeah and that's fun <laughs> at this point but uh yeah I even like I was rereading these pieces today to talk to you and I was like oh I could take a lot of this out now so that's good <laughs> that it, that's always part of it isn't it yeah. though you can always see that in, right. in your work but there is a certain point where especially with these that take so long that you just got to be done you just can't <laughs> anymore yeah, it's not like if I do another, if this was a book and I was coming back to a new edition, I don't think I would redraw a lot of it. But <laughs> No, right? I don't know why. Yeah. I feel strongly about that for you. Yeah. I, Although, um... uh, just real quick, there is a thing that happens very often. It's a phenomenon where people start drawing a book, a book-length work, and they... Um, oh. and they draw the whole thing, and then they have to go back and redo the first chapter. That makes so, sense, yeah, though. Yeah, yeah. Is it because it's... Well, it changes what, do, so much. Yeah, it's usually just like that the process of drawing, especially like the same characters over and over again, just makes it so much more fluid that uh, by the end, it looks so stiff and so like, so weird. Yeah. It makes total sense. Yeah. And yeah. Ah. Um, and so, well, let's let's see. The Kojo list. Yeah, sure. Um, so... Um, another... Hat yeah, there. this is just me uh, being evangelical about um, comics journalism and trying to get everybody to love it. Like, I love it. Um, and 
If you go to uh, kojolist.com, it's just a tiny letter, email newsletter. So it's on hiatus now because I'm here and I'm not allowed to work. It's part of the fellowship. you got to be like focused on studies and everything. But um, it'll pick back up in May, and there are a couple of them already, but it's um, it's basically a roundup of the best comics journalism being made on the Internet. So it's all just a couple links of stuff that you can look at and obsess over, and it's awesome. So all over the internet, amazing work, all over the world, really. Like, it's really kind of turned me on to different kinds of nonfiction. So, And it feels like you and um, and your partner, your co-editor, yeah. like you're doing this because it, it isn't existing out in the world otherwise. Yeah. And you want there to be a place where it can, so more people know about it or more people can start doing it. Yeah, there's definitely a danger to being turning yourself into a full-time curator. Right. But it's still worth doing. I've realized nobody else was doing it, and there's so much great stuff I didn't want it to go unnoticed. So, Okay. I'm glad you're doing it. Josh <laughs> Kramer. Okay. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back today. You've got Living Writers. Josh Kramer is here. We'll be back. Living Writers, I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Josh Kramer is here. Um, hooray! Hey. <laughs> um, and thank goodness you're doing this this great work, comics journalism, and also getting the word out like about this art form. And and it seems yeah, like happy to. you're um you're you're also just doing so many things. Like while yeah. you've been here, you started a right. graphic novel. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a not so secret project, but it's kind of a fun thing to work on here. Like, I think one of the best parts of the fellowship is that they really want you to just like branch out, do stuff you wouldn't normally do. Um, and so one of the things that I kind of decided to do early on was, um, uh, I bet you're familiar with, um, NaNoWriMo. It's a national novel writing month. And if you're listening and you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, typically someone will, um, decide like okay i'm gonna write a novel this month and it doesn't have to be good it just it's all about quantity it right just it's has just to be it yeah exactly to get the whole thing done it's about proving to yourself that you are capable of knocking out a novel length work and so typically you'll write what maybe like 1600 words does that sound right 2000 something a day? like that yeah 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 I was um, like, not in total oh no not in total no no but it's like short. <laughs> it's meant to yeah like prove to you that you can yeah. do it exactly so I thought, like, what is a way that I can... And there is, like, a, there used to be, like, a graphic novel equivalent of this, but the internet presence of it is a few years dead, so I was just trying to figure out, like, what would be my version of this. And, uh, you know, I 
I love nonfiction, but it's funny because, you know, in the journalism world, I'm like the cool guy doing the weird thing. But in the comics world, I'm like the guy doing the boring thing. <laughs> so um, so I wanted to kind of break out from that and just work on something completely different um, in a mode that I don't usually work. And um, I have I had just had this like fantasy idea flowing around, you know, like. Uh, very much like Dungeons and Dragons, Game of Thrones kind of stuff. Is that because is that why you did that Washington Post piece as well? Oh well, that or... was because I was actually playing Dungeons and Dragons. But uh, we could talk about that next. But <laughs> okay. uh, I, um, but yeah, so I had just this other idea, and um, and I was like, I'll never get a chance to work on this. And so I decided that I would do um, just like one to two pages a day, uh, and. I kind of described my process briefly earlier where you kind of pencil everything and then ink over it and then you erase the pencil under it. And that's very, in comic school, we called that um, pi for pencil, ink, erase. It's a very straightforward. Uh, and then you scan that usually. And then you've just got a clean ink thing with no pencil marks under it. But um, in this case, I wanted something that would be faster and uh, more like risky. And so I just did straight to ink um, and there's definitely some messed up hands and some weird faces and, you know, like, uh, gestures and stuff that, that don't work, but that's part of it. Right. So, um, so I, I did, I got 50 pages done, uh, and it was like every day in November and, you know, including going home for Thanksgiving and all that stuff. But, um, but it was very satisfying. And, and the best part of it was just that as soon as it was over, I just close the book on it and put it away, and maybe a year later I'll pick it back up and see if I still like it. But um, I've really never had the luxury of working on something that was a that long and b didn't have to be anything, you know? Because it was fiction. Because that's yeah. what you were saying that you right. sort of were released into like fantasy. Yeah, exactly. I'm not beholden to any real character. I can just kind of the fun part about cartooning is that in the in the when it's really working. You're not only the director and the producer and the casting director. You're, like, literally the actors, too. So, you know, you have to make faces into the mirror in order to really get them right. So um, it is kind of this weird... And, you know, I've heard from people that have done stories that are really intense about um, about war, about suffering, and it takes a toll. <laughs> so, like, I think, you know, cartoonists should really think twice about embarking on a multi-year length project involving really you know traumatic things but it's not like it's not like that it's not worth doing it's just it's a different consideration so yeah and you and you were able to sort of close the book so anyway on yes for a exactly. while. but you have 50 pages does, yeah but does it feel like you sketched out the whole idea mm. josh or well i made a timeline yeah. for the whole thing i think that's honestly probably the first quarter of it which is really sad <laughs> but <laughs> uh but that'll you know, it's always there. So well, yeah. <laughs> well, when you when you're done, come back on. We'll, I definitely we'll, will. Yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. Ce- we'll celebrate it. So, um, so we mentioned that the the piece, um, for the dungeon and like our like uh, what's the title of it? Like adults playing Dungeon and Dragons. Yeah, that's right. Uh, an illustrated guide to why grownups are playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, I did not write again. that headline. You did. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if that's, I don't know if people know that, but in journalism, you rarely get to write your own headline, but, um, even you, even though, because you're doing something that's slightly different, you'd think they'd let you have more of, uh, I'm, I'm very proud to be in the Washington post. I'll just put it like that. (laughs) Uh, 
Uh, and um, uh, yeah, because grown-ups, I wondered about your ward choice yeah, for yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, okay, that makes a lot of sense. But that now, is though. kind of the core of the piece, right? So the piece is just about it's kind of a like a trend thing talking about um, why is there the sudden cultural resurgence of Dungeons and Dragons? Why are people, you know, like I'm nearly thirty. Why are we taking up? Like I just got an email right before this about. Uh, you know, new characters for the new ongoing campaign that my friends at home are going to be doing. And um, if you're telling yourself, like, wow, this guy's a huge nerd. I can't believe he's playing Dungeons and Dragons. Well, um, I'm not alone. There's <laughs> many, many people that are picking it up for the first time because it's really engaging. It's like it's feels like no other kind of game. And it's kind of uh a fun experience for a lot of people. And so, that's what your piece does yeah. here. It's it it starts with some text that I think you probably wrote like the intro text. I think so. Josh and then okay. <laughs> I was trying uh, to remember <laughs> earlier. Yeah. Um and then it goes into a series of panels that like you read down the page. Yeah. At least that's how they're they printed no, it. No, yeah, it's a scroll. And the main reason that I wanted to do this piece is kind of the the conceit is that I was able to interview all these people. And also it's a treat that when you're doing something for the Washington Post, everyone will talk to you, which is nice, uh, and return your calls. And so um, I was able to interview all these people and uh, then I kind of portrayed them in the story as their characters, right? So uh, it's not that this guy is an IT professional. It's that he's a, you know, half elf. Half elf. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and that is so fun because I rarely, you know, I draw nonfiction. So I, it has to be pertinent to the story. But in this case, I can draw like spells and tentacles and all sorts of weird stuff. So, But by the yeah. end of it, so there is all this fun part and like the visuals, but it's making an argument like different, different kinds of people, different ages, different like um, professions or so. Yeah. And as you're going down the page and then by the end, you're saying like the why of it is because it's imagination fueled fun, you know, or yeah. so and so like it's it's so it's making an argument like right. why people yeah, should do it. Yeah, I think the facts bear that out too, you know. Like the more I looked into it and I talked to people from Wizards of the Coast that owns Dungeons and Dragons now and I think um and even since I started working on this like the you know, it seems like there's major things that I could not include because they came out later like um Stranger Things, right? Is like a huge example of something that is uh is is based on Dungeons and Dragons almost. So um yeah, so it's just everywhere, and it's uh, it was a fun thing to work on for sure. So, yeah. so that, um, so for that, did you pitch that idea? So, thinking about so sort of your work, like what yeah. is it like to be you as this cartoonist, <laughs> yeah. uh, journalist, right? Um, so, and some people approach you. We've heard about that earlier in the hour, but rarely, what, rarely. Yeah. So, what are you? How are you? Yeah, yeah. approaching others, well, and how are you pitching ideas, and then finding the stories? Yeah, you know. This kind of stuff is new for sure. And I want to stress that if you're also like sitting at home wondering how does this guy earn a living, that's very much, you know, a day-to-day conversation. And um, I'm the youngest fellow here, right? Um, I am 29. I was 28 when I was accepted. And um, the oldest fellow is 57. There's a wide range and there's a whole kind of world of journalism between that. And so... The, my challenge now coming out of this fellowship is like, how do I make sure that what I want to do is sustainable? Um, and so far, before the fellowship, that kind of included uh, an element of working in the food service industry for 
a long time. I worked at like um, three cheese shops uh, throughout the years. And wow, yeah, so- <laughs> <laughs> finally cultivating in working as a cheese specialist at a Michelin starred restaurant in D.C., which I was very proud of. Does that have a special name? Yeah. they In French, you would say fromagère, I think. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, oh, but uh, yeah, so now I'm trying to think about how I can have a full life with uh, illustration and writing and cartooning and putting in things that are less time consuming than the big projects. But to answer your question specifically, um, you know, I pitch things and I pitch things a lot. And um, anybody who wants to be a writer or um, anything uh, in journalism, that's the main recommendation, right, is start. This is like what Ira Glass said in this video that has kind of gone viral, I think, from a few years ago. Like, think about um, why you are like what makes you curious and start noticing the things that you are curious about. Right. So like, I just, I keep a list of things that I'm interested in and I try to, uh, I'm starting to be more specific about where and when those things would make good stories, but it's a, it's a muscle like anything else, like Twitter, like drawing, like writing, they're all different aspects of the job. And sometimes like um, when you had them say, you know, we want you to do something for us, then you're just kind of keeping your antenna up for what ideas, like you're driving, you happen to be in Florida. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And you say, yeah, no, I mean, I had that idea from a couple of years ago. Oh, you did. It was already on your list. Yeah, but but it took like a couple rounds back and forth to find exactly what uh, they were looking for because I had other ideas that I thought would be better. And they were not, <laughs> which like is fine. What? Like what? Um, you know, you should put uh, it out in the world. Still, <laughs> do we have another segment after this, or is this the last? This one? will be us saying goodbye soon. Oh, Josh. okay. Well, um, because sometimes I like to look to see what my at like the weird ideas that I come up with to pitch. Because like oh. I remember <laughs> some of the ones that I've had in the past are just so bad that they're really funny to look at. Like, um, I remember uh, recently I wrote uh, into my pitch list like, why are trash bags white now? They used to be black. Like. There might be a story there, right? Who knows? But uh, most of them are just, you know, topics rather than story ideas. So it takes, like, yeah. a lot of cultivation to figure out what's right for which publication. Yeah. But, but it seems like sometimes you could go from those those little ideas to find, like, yeah. to find something that has legs, yeah. that has the narrative. Yeah. Uh, I think I also, like, I pitched them an idea maybe before I got to the uh, Nuclear neighbor story. I pitched them an idea of like uh, what are going to be places to vacation in now that global warming is kind of changing coastal communities, right? Yeah. But you know, it's, it just wasn't as good, so that's okay. You were you were actually hoping to go and visit some of these places, yeah. Around but I the think world. I kind of got there anyway in the story. Spoiler alert. So yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Well, Josh, thanks so much for talking with me today. Oh, it's been a blast. Thanks. Um, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your time here. Thank you. As a fellow, a Knights Wallace fellow. And um, yeah, I can't wait to see not your graphic novel and what you do next. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks. Um, so everybody, you've been listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, I've been talking with Josh Kramer. Until next time.
shattered like a kaleidoscope Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Daily Sports Report here on 88.3 WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name's Morris Fabri. I'll be your host on today's show. On the other side of the glass, I have with me Jeff Chan, Emily Harrard, and Austin Falco. How you guys doing on this fine Wednesday evening? Getting through. Not bad. Yeah, it's it's hump day and we're all trying to get over that hump, I suppose. Uh, so first things first, the Michigan women's basketball team uh, currently tipping off against Purdue or will be in just a number of minutes. Uh, Emily, what are what are you looking for tonight from the women as they uh, play a road game, their first game since being named in the AP Top 25 of the poll? Yeah, so the uh, Michigan women's basketball team is now ranked number 21 in the AP poll. And this is going to be an important test on the road at Purdue. Purdue is 15 and nine, six and four in the Big Ten. They're actually in fourth place, right behind the Wolverines um, in the Big Ten. And you know that going on the road anywhere in the Big Ten is a tough thing to do. You know, regardless of the level of play, um, 